0: We are uh, in week two of our three week Easter series. Easter is next weekend. And we said last week we're doing a a little bit of a a creative lens here that um, if you don't know the Easter story, it actually takes place over three days, three consecutive days a Friday, a Saturday, and a Sunday. And so this year we're looking at the Easter story through the lens of what it might have been like in real time in that moment. And we're spending a weekend just highlighting Friday, a weekend highlighting Saturday, and a weekend highlighting Sunday, the resurrection. And um, we're also looking at it through the lens of Peter. If you don't know who Peter is, Peter was Jesus' lead disciple. We kind of told Peter's story last week of what it was like for him to, to follow Jesus and, and how the last day of Jesus' life, the day Jesus died, was probably his worst day. And so um, we're, we're going to pick that up, and, and we're going to talk about something today that I think is so important that, that is a big part of reality in the life that we live But often, I think we don't want to talk about it, or it's harder to talk about, or we only just want to focus on the good, but it's so necessary, and it's Saturday. The Easter story goes, Jesus was betrayed, he was tried, he was crucified, and died on Friday. He rose on Sunday, which means what happened on Saturday? Nothing. Nothing. And so I want to pick up our story. Yesterday, last week, we met Peter, who had a great run with Jesus until the very end. His worst day, where he blew it the most, was his last day with Jesus. And his last memory is he has betrayed Jesus. He denied him three times. And now Jesus is dead. And let's go back and look at what Peter might be thinking after he goes to bed and wakes up the next morning on Saturday.
1: can't believe it, the rooster, the sound that will now haunt me of so many failures, looking back I don't want to believe it went down like this, why did I even try, try to believe, I should never have left fishing in the first place, I mean, I have so many spectacular memories from my time following Jesus. People came to him, and I watched as their lives were revolutionized. He did the impossible. Lazarus, are you kidding me? Life from death right in front of my eyes. I watched as the blind saw again, as the deaf heard, as the lame walked. We never knew what he would do next. People could not get enough of him. Even when there's no food, he somehow makes food for thousands. He feeds thousands with a kid's lunch, and I got to somehow be a part of it. It was incredible. He saw the best and the worst of people, tax collectors, adulterers, thieves, liars, even ordinary fishermen. How did everything go from amazing to awful so quickly? Just days ago, we marched into the city to shouts of Hosanna, and out of nowhere, those same people are suddenly shouting crucify him. What happened? I'm disoriented. I'm confused. I'm terrified. I didn't know people could change so quickly. We were just in the garden with him. Judas and the soldiers all of a sudden come to take him. They arrested him. They took Jesus. They forced him out. So much happened so fast. He went to trial. Barabbas, that wretched insurrectionist. How did they release him? He's released by Pilate instead of Jesus. How? Judas betrayed Jesus and then took his own life. Pilate betrayed what I believe, what he knew was right. I could see it in him. He knew the right thing to do, and then he just washed his hands clean. They're cowards. And I'm no better. I'm no better than Judas. I'm no better than Pilate. The truth is, I knew what was right, and I still did the same. I betrayed Jesus. I'm a coward. And what do I do now? What do I do with this deep, dark silence? What does this silence mean? What does it say about me? What does it say about him? Jesus choosing me was one of the best things that seemingly ever happened to me. He invited me to walk on water, and then I sunk. He saved me, and he saved me time and time again, and now I've definitely sunk again. But this time, where's the hope? This time, there's no hope. This time, there's no life. This time, he's dead and you can't come back from that. I can only go back, I can only go back to the one thing I know, the only thing I've known to do, the water, the nets, the fish, the fishermen, that's who I am, that's what I know I should never have left what I knew. I should never have believed I could do anything else. I can't believe he chose me in the first place. I can't believe I saw him change the lives of so many people. I can't believe how miserably I failed him. Forget it. I'm no disciple. I'm a fisherman.
0: I don't think it takes much imagination to think that those would be very similar to the thoughts, the response of Peter. Part of the reason we chose the lens of Peter is, first of all, he was super close to Jesus. But secondly, as we told last week, in a lot of ways, we're Peter. We have our ups and our downs. We are unqualified in a lot of ways to be chosen to be used by God, yet God chose Peter. And I think this story doesn't get told enough And I think it's important that we look at what this day is. See, so far as we know, there's only been one day in the last 2,000 years of human history where literally nobody believed Jesus was alive. What day would that have been? Saturday. Saturday. The day before the resurrection, the day after the crucifixion. See, it's the two days on either side of this story in the Bible that get all the attention. The meal, the betrayal, the trial, the denial, the garden, the prayer, the resurrection, the tomb, the witnesses, the women. What does this mean? That's what the story's about. Friday, where everything went wrong, or Sunday, the day Jesus gave birth to the most death-defying, fear-destroying, hope-inspiring transcendent joy in all the world. The day that changed everything forever. But there is a day in between. Saturday. It's the day after this, but the day before that. In our world, in our terms, it's the day after a prayer gets prayed, but the day nothing happens. The day nothing changes when there is no answer. It's the day after the soul gets crushed or the bad news is delivered. And it's the next day where you have to get up and still live life and figure out what do we do? How do we go on from here? What does this mean? What does this mean for us? Where is God? It's a really strange time. It's a really strange season. It's a really strange day. And to be honest, especially in the Western, fast-paced culture that we live in now in history, we do not want to talk about, nor do we really have room for or time for Saturday, the day in between. It's a strange day. It's that that land in between despair and, and joy. It's the land in between confusion and clarity. It's the land between good news and bad news. It's the land between darkness and light. But it's interesting when you think about it. Because if Jesus' purpose was to come die on the cross for our sins and be raised again, think about this for a second. Could not God have parachuted Jesus in as a 33-year-old man? He spent about 30 minutes on earth, say, I'm God, let's do this. They kill him quickly, and about five minutes later, he goes, ta-da, I'm back. I mean, could God not have chosen to do that? Yes, in fact, that makes way more sense to me. <laughs> if I were in charge... That's how the story would have went because it's efficient. Yet God in his amazing providence decided and knew that this was and needed to be and was only complete in a three-day story. Saturday is as much a part of the Easter story as Friday and Sunday, yet Saturday is the day that nothing happened. It's, it's, it's probably easy to think about the fact that the few, ga- the few followers that remain gathered and, and similar to what we saw Peter uh, reflecting on, they probably, they remembered They probably were thinking about and reminiscing, much as you have done at a celebration of life or a wake, where what their life was like, what Jesus said, what he taught, how he healed, how he forgave, who he included, how different he was. But if you think about just Saturday, if you think about Peter, or you think about one of the followers of Jesus, this thought may have never occurred to you, and some of you aren't even gonna know how to feel about these words coming out of my mouth. But on Saturday... Anybody who was a Jesus follower had to come to grips with an unfathomable thought, and it was this. Jesus failed. Because on Saturday, that's what it looked like, right? Jesus failed. He couldn't convince enough priests to change the temple system. He couldn't convince enough people to overthrow Rome. He didn't get his shot with Caesar or Pilate or Herod or whoever. And he couldn't get enough ordinary people to understand his message. In fact, he wasn't even here long enough to train his few disciples to be courageous in the face of danger, and they all split, right? Again, we have to come to grips with, Saturday is the day that it looks like Jesus failed. It looks like his movement was no longer, and it didn't work out. In fact, a lot of historians and theologians call it Saturday, silent Saturday. And we have to talk about it, because you won't live very long before you encounter your own Saturdays. You will have time between darkness and life, between d- despair and joy, between the dream and the fulfillment or the never fulfillment, the, 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 the hope and the time between where it actually happens. See, it's a part of the human story because everybody knows Saturday. See, Saturday is the day your dream died. Saturday is the day that you wake up and you still have to go on and live your life. You have to go on, but you don't know how, or maybe even worse, you don't know why. Saturday, in this part of the story, speaks to that season, which all raises a question, a fair question. Why is there a Saturday? As I mentioned a minute ago, why couldn't Jesus just parachute in, be like five minutes, Tada! da just kidding. Why does there need to be a Saturday at all? It doesn't really seem to further the story like i said we might have just expected if jesus was going to be crucified and then raised again he may god may as well just get on with it right it seems strange that god would spread it out but i would say that perhaps saturday should be as important part of the story as friday and sunday what's really fascinating and interesting if you go to the very beginning of the story in genesis and you look throughout the bible This concept shows up often, this timeline shows up often throughout ancient calendars and Old Testament scripture. This idea we see throughout the Old Testament and throughout humanity uh, called third day stories. Third day stories. In fact, I'll give you a few references for those of you who who want a biblical reference. Uh, A man named Abraham, when Abraham was afraid that he was gonna have to sacrifice his one and only son Isaac in the book of Genesis, it says that he sees a sacrifice that will substitute for his son, on the third day. Joseph, uh, earlier in, uh, in Genesis, or later in Genesis, when he's betrayed by his brothers, his brothers come back to Egypt to get grain from him, and he get, they get thrown in prison, and they're not released until the third day. Later on in Joshua, the spies are checking out the land that they're about to take on, and the, the Rahab is helping them, and, and, and Rahab says, you need to hide, and you can only escape after until the third day you get to be safe and go on. If you look at the book of Esther, we talked about Esther in our hero series. Um, when she hears that her people are going to be slaughtered, she tells everybody to pray and fast uh, for three days, and she goes into that. And it's not until the third day that the king receives her favorably and she's able to go uh, to the king on behalf of her own people. In fact, even the prophet Hosea writes it like this. He says, come, let us return to the Lord. He has torn us to pieces. After two days, he will revive us, and on the third day, he will restore us that we may live in his presence." What's interesting is about these and so many others that I'm not going to tell you about today is that all of these three-day stories kind of share the same structure, and we see them in our life. The structure is on the first day, there's trouble, and then on the third day, there's deliverance, and on the second day, there's just more trouble. There's silence. There's how long shall we tarry? There's how much longer do we have to live like this, be like this, put up with this, feel like this? How much longer will this go on? And here's the challenge with these third day, three day stories that we see in the Bible and in our lives. It's not just magical three days like numerical, but it's it's a principle. The hard part is we don't ever know when the third day's coming. Rarely is it three days. We can't bank on, well, this is only gonna take 72 hours and then my healing comes. I'm only gonna be sad for 72 hours and then somebody else is gonna ask me on a date. I'm only gonna, you know, or whatever it is. Because when it's Friday or when it's Saturday, as far as it seems, as far as it feels, deliverance is never coming. Sunday is never coming. That's how it feels on Saturday. It's never gonna change. Sometimes it's just one day or it may be one long timeline in your story that never seems to change. And what's really fascinating about this and why I think it's so important to talk about is because this is our story. It's not just micro stories in the Bible, these third-day stories. If you actually look at the Bible as one whole story, there's kind of a three-day Saturday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And some of you are nodding your heads right now because you know what I'm about to say. The story started in Genesis with a perfect God, a perfect world, and a tree of life and a perfect garden. And what did that God come to do? Be present and have relationship with these perfect beings. But he gave us this one thing called, that was a huge liability called free will. And in no time at all, we exercised our free will, seized autonomy from God to find good and evil on our own and messed all of God's plan up. Now he's so good, he had a redemptive plan. So his, his Friday was the day we mess up. So we have a perfect garden and a tree in Genesis, and then you have basically Genesis chapter three to the end. And what is that? Stinking broken humanity. That's all it is. That's, there's a bunch of different stories of who we are still to this day, how we don't get along, how we think certain people are more important than others, how we're selfish, we're self-centered, we're not generous, we don't forgive. That's the whole thing. And in the middle of that somehow, God brings people and prophets and widows and all these people and his own son at one point and shows what we're like. But if you go to the very, very end, do you know how this story ends in Revelation? Jesus comes back. There's going to be a new tree of life, it says in Revelation. He's going to create a new heaven, a new earth, a new Jerusalem. Evil will be gone. Hell will be somewhere else for people who don't want to have anything to do with God, and God is going to reign, and we will be with him just like it was in the beginning. No more sin. He'll wipe away every tear. There'll be no more shame. There'll be no more pain. It'll be like it was in the beginning, and all of a sudden, we're going to get to live in Sunday forever with Jesus. It's amazing, so you see that that is, the micro, that is the macro story of the Bible, isn't it, Pastor Dennis? It's the macro story. But here's the problem. We live somewhere between Genesis and Revelation. We live in Saturday. We live in the micro the macro Saturday, and we have our own micro Saturdays. But it is. It's, we live literally between the trees. Beginning, middle, end. Creation, fall, redemption. In other words, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Why does this matter? Because silence is what happens on Saturday. And we don't wanna, and we don't do a good job talking about silence, grieving, lamenting, space. And what probably compounds Saturday is in addition to the pain on Friday, there's a pain of silence on Saturday. And if we're really honest, and this is a place to be honest, this is when God seems silent. Saturday is when God seems absent. God, if you're, this is where the questions we wouldn't actually put Uh, We maybe wouldn't say, but they're in us. And they're fair to be in us because we're humans. God, if you were really real, if you really loved me, if you really cared about me, why then fill in the blank? Why the terminal illness? Why can't we have kids? Why are we getting divorced? Why am I getting laid off again? Why? Pick one. You have them. And that's what Saturday is. It's not just the pain of what happened. It's this God, where are you? And the good news is there's plenty of room in scriptures for us to have that season and that moment where God doesn't go, well, then cast yourself therefore from thee. Which God doesn't sound that way anyway. Only King James did, and that was like 700 years ago. There's plenty of room in scripture where we bring that to God. And I'm gonna show you how do we do, what do we do a Saturday? It's you lose a job, you lose a friend, you lose your health, Get word of a terminal illness, of you, someone you love. You have a dream for a child. You can't get pregnant. You have a dream for one of your kids and their dream dies. So we all have Saturday. And we have spent time in in other services talking about grief and lament. And you can go back on our archive and look at But I want to talk more about what do we do with Saturday? How do we make it to Sunday? Like, what do we do? And as we do that, I think it's important for some of us. Some of you came to church this week and you're watching from somewhere else and you're literally living a Saturday, I am telling your story right now. And if I am, the good news is there's hope. But I'm not gonna promise you some magic prayer, wave something, if you send me 20 bucks, I prayed over some something and I'm gonna send it to you. That don't work, because I'm not God. And if you're sending money to those people, stop it and give it to us. <laughs> We're doing way better stuff with that money. We're trying to build a bigger park and a new building. But what's your Saturday? Is it the loss of a loved one? Is it a medical diagnosis? Is it watching somebody you love that you've raised to make hurtful choices for themselves and the people around them? And so I want to spend just a couple minutes, because how do we navigate Saturday? I don't, I don't know that I need to spend more time convincing you. Saturday is real, and it's a regular part of humanity. And if you haven't had a Saturday, I got really, really real news for you. Your day's coming, because this place is broken. This place is broken. But here's the best part. Saturday isn't this depressing story, it's a part of a bigger story. Saturday is a part of a redemptive story. And so I wanna talk about what do we do with Saturday. I wanna give you three options, and I'm gonna be really honest. We're always, we always tell the truth, and I'm always really honest with you guys. None of these are awesome. None of them are inspiring. There isn't one where you say a magic prayer, do a thing, and you get a better job, your bank account, you're automatically healed. That could happen. God's been doing it for, since eternity, and it's amazing when He does. But sometimes He doesn't, and I don't know why, and I'm a pastor. All I know is we have broken humanity, but how do we make it through Saturday? What do we do with our Saturday? Let me give you three, three, probably the most natural or the most, uh, the the three options I think we we mostly choose from. One of them is going to be a lot more intentional than the other, but these are kind of inherently what we fight against when we have that Saturday season. And the first one is this. How do we, you have to make a decision, I would say, between these three things. You're going to have to choose one of these three. I'll tell you, one is better than the other two, but none of them are like, oh, thanks, pastor. The first one is just denial. Number one is denial, somebody say denial. denial. How do we handle Saturday? Our a normal, the way we want to respond is to live, many of us, in denial. We just refuse to acknowledge the reality of the, of, of the loss, of the disappointment, the job, the child, you pick it. I've already given you plenty of examples, you're smart people. We live, we, we try to ignore the emotion of it. We pretend we're, things are better than they are. We refuse to address the elephant in the room and we live in denial. And, and symptoms of denial are when, uh, often, we, we would come up with these simplistic explanations. Well, we lost the child because. Well, I got fired again because. And maybe there is, but we, we want to explain it easily because we don't want to wrestle with the fact that there is something maybe bigger to it going on and we actually don't get to understand. Understanding or a simplistic explanation at its core is actually a form of false control. And we want to feel like we're in some sort of control. And so we have some sort of simplistic explanation but rarely is it that simple. Or uh, often in denial, we get really impatient. What do we do? We stay busy. We get busy. Sometimes we get busy doing dangerous things. We get busy doing um, um, destructive things. But sometimes we get busy doing really good things. I'm gonna, uh, I'm gonna help at the soup kitchen more. I'm gonna serve at my church more. I'm gonna lead 17,000 small groups. Uh, I'm gonna, and, and, and we do this, right? This is our culture. I'm gonna do anything I can to take my mind off of the reality of the thing that I really need to pay attention to that's happening in my soul because it's a form of denial, or I'm gonna help 30,000 other people, so I don't have to try to help myself, because that's way harder, denial, simplistic explanations, cliches, impatience, or even just artificial pleasantness, artificial pleasantness, oh, everything's happy, everything's good, or or whatever the case may be, or I found other things, you know, I, I just, again, keeping busy doing artificial pleasantness, but at the end of the day, there's this giant Saturday hole in your soul that you have to bring before God. And what do we do with that when we're in denial? We hydroplane completely over authentic humanity. We like force this fake optimism. We use cliche formulas. We mean well, but some of us have been really hurt in our Saturday because a well-meaning Christian used a cliche formula that in no way helped. And they tried to, in one sentence, let you know why you had your third miscarriage can I just help you follower of Jesus? Don't ever do that to somebody. It's not helping and you don't know why. Just, you know what the best thing you can do to somebody who's in a Saturday? I'm so sorry. I'm here for you. The end. And then shut up. What do you need? That's what we need. Cliches don't help anybody. We come up with false triumph. We, we say a couple scriptures that we've heard, but we don't even believe them or really feel them because we're in denial. And the hard part is usually when you're in denial, everybody else sees it, but you don't. It's how we deal with hurt, loss, depression, those types of things. In fact, I don't know if you know this, but real quick, uh, Paul, the apostle, who wrote most of the New Testament, he warned one of his young leaders against this in one of his letters in 2 Timothy. He's giving him, he's saying, hey, there's all kinds of false narratives and there's all kinds of false prophets. Here's something to watch out for. And I think he was speaking specifically to this. Paul wrote to Timothy in 2 uh, Timothy verse 2, verse 18, and he says this, here's what the false teachers will say. And I'm gonna give you the interpretation. He says, They'll say the resurrection has already taken place and that and that the the and when they say that the resurrection's already taken place, they destroy the faith of some. Now, they're not actually talking about just the resurrection of Jesus. They're talking about the revelation, resurrection at the end of times. But here's what Paul was saying. There's going to be some hyper-religious people that say, oh, Sunday's already come. The resurrection's happened for all of us. So if you're having any problems, if you have any unanswered prayers, if you have anything that's not going your way, you just don't have enough faith or you don't love God enough, you need to get with the program. That's what that means. That's what that means. And so if you've ever been in a place and you've been made to feel that you just don't have enough faith or God doesn't love you or whatever because you're still in some sort of emotional or life Saturday, can I just tell you the Bible has a whole lot more to say about that in Psalm and Lamentations than it does quick fixes. So you might actually be the child of God doing what God wants and you're in a really tough season and that's hard to navigate, but there's space for that. And we have to create space for that in our modern Christian theology. We can't just make it go away. This idea of if you just, if you prayed more, had more faith, there were better God, it's, it's, it's completely fundamentally, fundamentally flawed. It's completely unbiblical. We have an entire book called Lamentations that teaches us how to lament in Saturday. If you go read the book of Psalms, longest book of the Bible, one of them, most chapters, most of them our laments of everything around me is terrible. Saturday, 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 Saturday. My foes are doing great. All the evil people seem to be doing well. The righteous people are doing terrible and woe is me. But they almost all end the same way. But you are still God. You are still on the throne and I will yet trust you and I will yet serve you. It's, I'm not gonna ignore the reality of what's going on on in the inside of me on Saturday, but I'm also not gonna lose perspective of who's really in charge here. Who's sovereign and that is God. So one of the ways you can choose to deal with Saturday, I would not recommend it as your pastor, is denial. If you go to see Cornerstone and Dr. Amy and her wonderful team, I also know they would not recommend denial. The second one is maybe similar, but a little bit different. I won't talk as much about this, is what do we do with Saturday? We choose despair. And some of, you, some of us, this is what we've chosen. Despair is this. We're Eeyore from Winnie the Pooh. <laughs> oh, bother. It's just always going to be... I'm resigned to this life. Nobody's gonna love me. Nobody, it's always gonna care. J- despair is, it's never gonna be Sunday. It's always gonna be Friday. If not, it's gonna be Saturday. I better just get used to it. God probably loves somebody else more. It's only good things happen to them. And we choose despair. And we live our life, and you start to live your life with disappointment management, and start you instead, you start to predict disappointment that you're gonna try to avoid, and you almost become a self-fulfilling prophet. And you've, you've bought into the lie because the devil loves to meet people at despair that this is as good as it's ever gonna get. And by the way, you deserve this. Neither of those things are true. Neither of those things are true. Here's, the, here's probably the most dangerous thing about despair. Despair is where we start to learn how to medicate ourselves other ways. Despair is when coping mechanisms really set in. hyperactivity with entertainment, uh, addictive behavior, whether it be um, gambling, pornography, substance abuse with alcohol, prescription drugs, non-prescription drugs, legal or not legal, who cares? Is it helping you? We have all these busyness. We come up with all these coping. And when despair sets in is the most easy time when all the self-medicating, fake coping mechanisms come And Here's the danger with all the mechanisms. They release enough dopamine in the moment to get you to the next moment. But then the problem is you're still back at Saturday when the moment ends. And so in our despair, we have, and some of us, this is your, this is your invitation to liberation in, in your life. You've been, you've been in despair, maybe denial and despair, and your only survival tactic has been some sort of coping mechanism where you medic, self-medicate pain with maybe a healthy or unhealthy habit that's out of balance. I'm just going to tell you that there's something better. So denial is how we can deal Saturday. I wouldn't recommend it. Despair is is real, but we have to again let's take a page out of Psalms and Lamentations and go, I'm gonna acknowledge the authenticity of what's going on inside of me, but there's something else at the end of it. There's still a God to be loved, a God to love uh, to be served, a joy and a peace and a purpose to be found in the middle of it that passes that that transcends understanding and a sovereign God who I will be with on the other end of the garden where there's a new heaven, a new earth. If it never changes in this lifetime, there's still an eternity to be had in the new garden in, in, in in the Sunday episode. But I also believe that God wants to do some of that in our life in this side of eternity as well. So we can choose denial, we can choose despair, or here's the third one. This is the best one. This is the hard one. Our culture doesn't value it. You're not gonna be like, man, pastor just made us wanna run through a wall today. But here's the best answer. Here's what else do you do on Saturday? You do what Peter did, you do what they did. You wait. You wait. Oh, pastor, that's it, that's it. Because anything more than that, you're probably gonna hurt yourself. You're gonna work against yourself. You're gonna create more mess to undo. You wait. And what do you do while you wait? You have to choose to trust beyond your feelings and beyond your circumstances. Trust what? There is a good God who is full of love that still has a plan for me. He said he was never gonna leave me. He was never gonna forsake me. He said there was no place I couldn't go where his spirit and his presence wouldn't be. So even though I don't feel it, I don't see it. Only immature Christians need to feel God all the time. I'm just gonna choose to believe that you are sitting right here crying with me and you're wrapping your arms around me. I'm just going to wait. I'm going to lament. I'm going to Psalms. I'm going to trust. I'm gonna wait. Waiting is really, really hard. What do you do when you wait? You work with God, you lean into God, and you trust God, even when he feels far away. You rest, you cry, you whine, you complain, you hurt, and you do it to and with God. And you do it to and with the God community, but you choose to trust. In fact, the most common psalm in the book of Psalms is called the psalm of complaint. It's the God, why aren't you listening? Why haven't you changed this yet psalm? So there's all kinds of room biblically for this. And so what do we do while we wait? We trust. Why do we trust? Because one of two things is gonna happen. Either on this side of eternity, Sunday's coming. It's gonna get better. Or even if it doesn't, You can find a relationship that is satisfying, fulfilling, healing, redemptive that can still help you find peace, joy, and purpose on this side of eternity that you can still live a full life even though it seems like something is maybe missing. Yes, it may never be the same. Yes, it may not be what you wanted, but you can have, and that's what happens when you sit and you wait with the Lord. Why? Because Jesus, again, never asks us to do anything. Number one, he won't empower us to do. And number two, he didn't first do for us. John Artberg writes in one of his books, he says this about Saturday and about this whole concept. He says, so Jesus Christ defeats our great enemy death, not by proclaiming his invincibility over it, but actually by submitting himself to it. Here's how you can trust Jesus. And here's why. Because if you can find this Jesus in a grave, if you can find this Jesus in death, if you can find him in hell, where can you not find him, and where will he not turn up? If Jesus submitted himself to death, submitted himself to hell, submitted himself to the grave, conquered all of them, then where will you not find him? There's nowhere you can go where you would be excluded from him, and if if he went there, he went there for you, and if you feel like you are there, he's there with you. He didn't just say, I'm above it. He says, I submit to it. Now, he conquered it. So you have a Jesus that will sit with you. In fact, what happens when you wait? The prophet Isaiah told us what happens when we wait. Chapter 40, verse 31, if you grew up in church, you might've heard this before. He says, here's here's what happens when you apply this counterintuitive, trusting, waiting principle that the world won't understand, but here's how this is gonna work. And he says, those who decide to wait, somebody say wait. Wait. Somebody say "Wait." wait. Those who wait on the Lord, well, what's God gonna do? He's gonna renew your strength. Isn't that what you're looking for in those coping mechanisms? Isn't that what you're trying for with denial? Well, how do I get my strength back? You wait on the Lord. How do I wait? I journal, I pray, I cry, I'm honest. I'm not gonna do denial. I'm not gonna do despair. I'm gonna believe that either God is going to deliver me from this or give me the strength to walk through it. It's like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said when they faced the fire. We believe God can get us through this, no problem. But even if he doesn't, we're not gonna bow. We're just gonna know he's with us in this moment and we will see him on the other side of glory. That's, that's the theology. And this is not popular in America right now, but it's the Jesus we serve and it's a part of the most important story ever told. Wait. Here's what's super cool about this idea. Oh, he goes on to say, here's what that's gonna look like. He says, "When you, he, what does it mean to renew your sink? It's gonna feel like you're mounting up with wings like eagles. You're not gonna fly with, with like butterflies. You're gonna be up there with eagles. You will run and you won't even get tired. You will walk and you won't pass out. That's the kind of strength that God gives you when you wait with the Lord. Wait, and here's what's really cool. This, all, this word wait in Hebrew also means to hope for or anticipate or maybe my own anticipate, uh, uh, Interpretation. My dad owned a restaurant. I was a server for many years. And so when I was told to wait on somebody, what did I do? Served him. How do I wait on the Lord? Well, serve him. What's he up to? Widows, poor, taking care of a community, reaching people that don't know Jesus, love, forgiveness, generosity, healing, redemption, just to name a few. Who's he going to do it through? Us. Well, I'm broken. I'm hurt. You're a great candidate. If he can use Peter, he can use you. So, how do we? How do I wait on the Lord? I serve the Lord. What are we doing for dinner today, God? Who do you need me to be you to today? Wait on the Lord. This Saturday story is, is real to us. Uh, if, if you've been around, you know our story. Um, it's an ironic that I'm telling you this story this weekend because tomorrow we celebrate our son's one uh, one year birthday. Blake turns one tomorrow. You can go put a picture up. Um, yeah, super exciting. I got two of the best kids. And I've told this story before. Um, So he turns one tomorrow. And I put that picture up because you can tell there's a tiny bit of an age gap there. A middle schooler and a baby. Why? For 10 years, we prayed, fasted, believed, sought God for more children. And the answer, every single time, no. 3,650 days in a row were Saturday to us. Every month for 120 months, we had to restart the grieving period over. Saturday was our life for a long time. We know, I know Saturday. We were intentional parents. We love God. We love people. But there were lots of, lots of nights of why God? There are lots of journal entries with tears on them. I don't understand. People who don't want kids can have them, but we do and we can't. And I don't want the focus to be, if you wait long enough, you get what you want. That's out. You can take the picture off, actually. Take the picture off. Here's what I want you to hear. We had to learn how to Saturday. We had to learn how to wait on the Lord. The day I was sad, the day I didn't wanna serve anybody, the day I I wish things were different. You had well-meaning people say really hurtful and sensitive things. We had lots of cliches. Well, God, blah, blah, blah. Bible says don't punch people in the face, otherwise I would've. (laughs) Lots of times. I got a lot of, well, God, and at least you, and I'm like, oh, that's why I'm like, just shut up. Say you're sorry, move on. We grieved. We hurt. You know what else we did? We kept serving. We were in ministry. We trusted. We led well. And then we cried privately. We had pastors and older brothers and sisters and mentors walk us through this. And and honestly, I, I don't show you that. If you wait long enough, you'll get whatever you want. 1999, I prayed over these hankies. We're not doing that. Because far before we ever got Blake, we had resigned that this was all it was going to be. And I'm so thankful that I had input into my life. I'm I'm a third or fourth generation minister, follower of Jesus. And we have a life scripture that's four generations old now over the demo household. And it's out of the book of Joshua when they finally get their freedom and they finally get their liberation. And, and, and it's almost like he can see it coming. They're being allured and there's despair and there's denial and there's all kinds of reasons. And, and, and Joshua makes this statement. And this is what I continued to lean on when despair crept in, when denial crept in, when 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 Christian cliches crept in and, and when maybe we should do something else and maybe we deserve this and maybe if we were more obedient or I didn't sin as much when I was a teenager, when all that crept in, I just came back to our life scripture. And it's what Joshua told the Israelites and is what God continues to, that we continue to say and we pray this still almost every night. Well, this is what you do on Saturday. There's lots of options. So if serving the Lord seems undesirable of you, for you, then you choose for yourself where you're gonna go. You choose who you're gonna serve. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And as we serve the Lord, we're waiting on the Lord. And guess what he did as we waited on him? He renewed our strength. We found joy in other things. There were other wins. We grew, we cried, we led lots of people to Jesus. We made mistakes, we had wins, we lived life. Was it what we would have chosen? No, was it the story we would have written? No, but God has been faithful and even, and we got to the point, God, even if we don't get any kids, any more kids and the world's like you just are, we will still serve the Lord. And as we did, as we waited on him, I'm telling some of you guys, he renewed our strength. Oh yeah, we had to go to baby showers and celebrate other people getting what we wanted. We had to go through all the stuff. But God walked us through it because that's the kind of God he is. And so for some of us, as you're in a Saturday, don't create a false Sunday. Let God have Sunday. You just wait, you serve, you trust. And I can give you my word that he will renew your strength. And where does that start? If you've never said yes to being to surrendering your life to Jesus, that's the best place to start. If you have never said, I'm in, I wanna be a follower of Jesus, I wanna be a Christian, that's where it starts. And so as I pray tonight, that might be you. You need to say, Jesus, I wanna give you my life. For others of us who are living in a Saturday season, I hope I've given you all the encouragement you need to wait, to serve, and to trust. And I promise you, God will either get you on the other side of it, or he's gonna walk you through it, but he will renew your strength. The joy will come in the morning. His joy will be your strength. There can still be peace that transcends understanding and purpose in every moment. And sometimes we don't need to get the thing we think we want or need to get there, but there's a better testimony when, wait, a world's looking at us going, you didn't get what you want, but you're still happy and you still have purpose and you still have peace and you still have joy. Whatever you have inside of you, that's what I want. That's called a testimony. So let's be waiters because Sunday's coming. But even if it doesn't, He'll renew your strength if you trust, if you wait, and you serve. Father, thank you for this word. Thank you for the hard truths. God, we will never be a church that only talks about the easy things, the things that feel good or the things that we like to talk about. But we wanna talk about real life and I believe there are just people online and in person that needed to hear this today. God, I pray that you would inspire and encourage us to lean into you. God, if there's people who are bound by coping mechanisms, I pray for freedom right now in the name of Jesus. By the power of your spirit, would you just deliver them from anything that's addic- that's been addictive, that they could walk away. God, anybody who's in despair, would you renew their hope? Would you renew their joy? And God, would you teach us to be, people who learn to wait on you, to trust you, to serve you. And as we do, God, I thank you that your word was, is, and always will be true, that you will renew our strength, that though the sorrow may come through the night, the joy comes in the morning. God, teach us how to trust, teach us how to wait. And God, I thank you that you can be a God that we can trust, love, serve, and you can give us purpose when things are going how we want and even when they're not. So God, may we live that in our lives as we go this week. In Jesus' name, amen.